Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all this morning. Um, As you can see, uh, due to popular response, uh, me and Chip have replaced spots. Uh, He's the intern for the week, and I'm the pastor. And if you doubt me, go check out his office. Um, He was gone. Him and the pastors were gone uh, this past week, so I I took advantage of the opportunity um, and made my, my little home right in his office. So... No more Iowa stuff in there. Not that he would want it after last night anyways. Um, hey, it's great to be here with you all this morning. Um, for many of you, you know that uh, since I grew up in the church, you know that tennis was a huge part of my life. Um, it's, a, it's a first love. It was a passion. It still is a passion. I, it's a source of where I get a lot of my enjoyment. And one of the things that I learned in tennis uh, was how to analyze was how to analyze people. Um, one of the very first things that you do, or at least I did, when I would go to a tennis match, was when we got off the bus, or when the opponents got off the bus, you immediately figure out who is my opponent, and you immediately start looking like, oh, what are they wearing? Are they wearing the right kind of shoes? Are, are they, do they have the right kind of bag? What kind of racket are they playing with? And, we, and just through observation, you begin thinking, okay, can I, can I take this player down? Am I going to be victorious? And you start thinking, like, this is how he's going to play. And so, after all of the analyzation goes, happens, we get onto the court, and before the match starts, we have a time of warm-up. Now, if a player is worth his salt, this time is not just a time of warming up and getting the muscles nice and loose. It's a time of further analyzation to, to see where his opponent's weaknesses are. And so you might hit a, a ball to the forehand. Okay, he, he's okay there. You might give him a little volley. Okay, he's okay there. But then you hit it to the backhand. Ooh, that wasn't so good, that one. And you begin to think to yourself, okay, you hit, the, you hit it there again. Just during warm-up, you're like, he did, he's not responding very well um, with those backhand shots. And so you have this mindset, okay, here's a weak point. I'm going to take advantage of this. And so during the match then, Rather than trying so hard to get the big overhead or the big winning shot, you just keep on popping the ball to the backhand. And, and you let him make the mistakes. Now, I say it as if I'm the pro. In, in all reality, this is me. They would find my weakness. They'd see my weakness was the backhand. And when I say he, I mean my brother. He was also my opponent. And, uh, and if you know, you know, I, I, I may have had a bit of a temper uh, in high school tennis. And what, here's what would happen if I'm being completely honest with you. and Jordan would keep on hitting that ball to my back end, or he, he would do something to annoy me out there on the court. And all of a sudden, my weakness changed from my backhand to my entire game. And after, eventually, I'd get so frustrated with all the mistakes I was making, I couldn't even hit a forehand well. I couldn't do a serve well. I couldn't do any shot well because I was so in my head. I became my number one opponent. I was the one who was demoralizing myself. Now, as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about what we're talking about today, I realized that this is kind of how Satan comes after us. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not comparing Jordan to Satan. Let me just put that out there right now. He was in first service. We're all good. He's waiting to get me out back on the court, but Jordan is not Satan. But Satan, we know, is not all-knowing. We know this. We also know that he's not all-powerful, but here's what we do know. We know that he's intelligent. We know that he's cunning. We know that he is deceitful. And he's going to be looking for ways in which he can come into our lives on a daily basis, find our weakness, 
and expose that, especially if we are not prepared for what's about to happen, if we're not prepared for this, this match of life on a daily basis. Satan is not omniscient, but man, if he doesn't need to ruin our whole life with one huge attack, he's going to get us on a slippery slope of making bad decisions to get us where he wants us. He doesn't have to go for the big overhead because sometimes it's more fun just watching us destroy ourselves than him doing all of the work. So how, how do we go from a place where we're no longer reacting impulsively? You know, what, what happened to me on the tennis court was that when, if someone exposed my weakness, I was just floundering around, just reacting impulsively, just trying to get the ball across the net instead of being able to respond intentionally with seeing the ball coming at me, seeing the location of it, seeing the spin of it, and saying, I know exactly what's coming my way. Now I can intentionally respond and have a counterattack to throw my opponent to the back heels of his feet. So how do we respond as Christians? How do we respond from a place of, or how do we move from a place of reacting impulsively to a place of responding intentionally? Well, I mean, it, it begins with what we've been talking for the last six or seven weeks. It begins with us recognizing that we are in a battle far greater than many of us realize. You know, in Ephesians six twelve, it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our biggest concerns are not of this world. Now don't get me wrong. Our biggest concern may not be of this world, but I am certain that he uses things of this world to get at us. Circumstances in our daily lives, reasons that draw us to be impatient or to annoy us, to make impulsive decisions, all of a sudden we see that Satan is using those things to expose our weaknesses, to get us to begin to respond or react in the heat of the moment. And here's the thing, like we've been saying for the last six or seven weeks, we can't win this battle if we don't know about the battle. We see here in Ephesians 6.12 that there's something greater than this world going on. There's a battle greater than what we experience on a daily basis. There's a greater source of these pains. And if we don't know about it, how can we stand in victory during it? But here's the great news. We know that through this study that we have been equipped to win. We know that we have been resourced with the armor of God. We don't need to be looking at for all these other different things in our life. How can we begin to thrive in our life? We have the resources, the armor of God. Paul lists them down from the very beginning. We've been talking about them. The belt of truth, the feet of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness. And even further than that, we have been empowered for victory. Not only do we have the resources available to us, but within those resources, within this armor of God, this armor of God has been divinely strengthened so that even in the midst of the attacks that we undergo on a daily basis, that armor will protect us and that armor will allow us to stand. We know this from reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, to stand, to stand, to stand in victory. 
so that in the end we can stand and be a demonstration of God's glory and his strength in our lives. So today we begin talking about the very last one. The very last piece of the physical piece of armor. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Even though this is the last physical piece, now don't get me wrong, this, this isn't the end of the passage. We all know this. You've been hearing it on the screen for the last eight weeks. We know that this isn't the end. And, I, and Chip will talk about, he'll, he'll talk about the secret weapon. I don't want to steal his thunder. He'll talk about the secret weapon next week, and we'll be talking about what it means to keep on going and fight on offense. But now we talk about this last physical piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit. And without the sword, think of it this way, we are left to simply take the attacks of Satan. As we go throughout life, if we don't have the sword, if we're not using the sword, all we have is the rest of the armor. Now you might say, like, well, the armor is divinely strengthened by God, so that's still good, right? Yeah, by all means. However, if we are left with simply the armor of God, we go from a place of standing and being able to rea- uh, respond and fight back to a place of simply taking the attacks, which will end up leaving us cowering. And the armor might be, might be protecting us. But think of it this way. If all we're doing is taking the attacks and not being able to fight off the attacks, as we're cowering, hoping for the attacks to end, everyone else is looking around us saying, this guy is claiming that he has this amazing God and his amazing glory to protect him. And yeah, they might be scraping by in life, but man, there's got to be an easier way than that. You see, the sword of the Spirit is what truly allows us, at the very end of all things, to take out and to wield it and to fight off the attacks so that we truly may be able to stand. We don't have to simply scrape by in life with the daily circumstances that get thrown at us. But we can go into the attacks, we can go into each day saying, no, I will stand, and I have the sword of the Spirit. We must take up the sword of the Spirit. The sword is the piece of armor that truly allows us to stand and fend off the attacks. It is our opportunity to demonstrate to others that we don't have to simply take the attacks, but that we can stand strong and fight, not for victory. We don't fight for victory, but it is our opportunity to demonstrate to those around us that we fight from a place of victory. We stand strong in a place of victory, and this is where we fight from. It is our opportunity to demonstrate God's glory to its fullest potential. Instead of scraping by and just saying, God will protect me and just taking the attacks, we stand with the power of the sword the sword of the spirit, and we fight off and we lean in and we continue to stand in victory. So that takes us to our first point today. If you are not in the word, you cannot wield the word. You see, reading the Bible, I'll I'll be honest with you, at the very end of today, there's going to be one simple application. I'll just make it sound a little bit fancier at the end, but there's going to be one simple application. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. But you see, don't check out, don't check out quite yet. There's something, there's something special about this, though, because it's no longer reading the Bible for reading the Bible's sake. There's something so much more to it. 
If you are not in the word, if you are not utilizing the sword of the spirit, you cannot wield the sword of the spirit. You see, there is this, this, this in this scripture, it says, take up the sword. This is like Pastor Chip spoke on last week. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not indicative of who you are or a fact, but it's saying, do this. I command you in your daily lives, take up the sword of the spirit. One of our best examples is found in Matthew 4, 8 through 11, and we'll get there. Pastor Ken's already talked about it. Pastor Chip's already referenced it. But we see here that this is more, this is more than just going into a tag and saying, oh, you know what? I'm not having such a really good day today. I think, you know, I've been told to read the Bible. I'll just read the Bible today. I'll just get it out today because I'm not having a good day. And we open up the Second Chronicles 2, and it said, uh, his cons- he conscripted 70,000 men as carriers and 80,000 as stonecutters and 3,600 as foremen. Okay, I don't get that, but I guess that's good. No. You see, for us to prepare for the attacks, we must be in the word before the attacks. And like I said, one of our greatest examples is found in Matthew 4, 8 through 11, and it says this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, Satan said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, you might be saying, well, (laughs) it's easy. Jesus is God and God wrote the Bible so he knows the Bible. Yes, but Jesus is still fully man. It's because of Christ's intimate knowledge with the word that he is able to take on a head-on attack from Satan and speak into it. You see, being able to wield the sword of the Spirit is so much more than just reading the word. Wielding requires active use. Wielding requires it to be taken out of its sheath. You see, unlike the other pieces of armor that just sit there because we know it, the helmet sits there, the breastplate of righteousness sits there, the belt of truth sits there. This actually requires us to take it out and use it. But if we're not familiar with how to use the sword of the spirit, it's no longer muscle memory, and we'll just be reacting impulsively, reacting in the heat of the moment. We'll just be opening up the Bible thinking, oh God, please let this be the answer. But Christ's intimate knowledge of the word allows him, in spite of his vulnerability, this was only one of three attacks. This is the last of the attacks that Satan came after Christ had spent 40 days in the desert fasting. Christ is in a vulnerable position. He is still fully man. But it's because of his intimate knowledge with the word that he is able to speak. He's able to wield the sword of the spirit. Wielding the sword of the spirit is so much more than reading. In this verse, when it says um, in uh, 17, the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, there's two different words that are used in the, in, in the Greek New Testament for word. There's, there's logos, which is what we typically think of when we think of the Bible. In the beginning was the logos. And this is, this is simply the word that we read. This is the word that we know. This is the word. But then there's another word. And they're typically used as synonyms. However, there's different connotations. And the second word is what the word used here in 617. It's called rhema. Rhema has this connotation behind it, which means to speak the word. You see, it's so much more than just reading the word, so much more than just me saying, oh, look at that beautiful sword there. I bet that's really useful. 
I could know everything about the sword in front of me, but if I don't know how to use it and speak it and use it into the attack, then it proves pointless. Wielding the sword of the Spirit requires active use. It requires taking out of the sheath and using it. Because this is the one piece of armor that offers about, I don't know, two square inches of protection if something hits you in the hip bone. But they're not going for the hip bone, are they? Something so much more crucial is being attacked. And this is the one piece of armor that you can take out and you can fend off the attacks. Imagine this. So right now we see Christ doing this. We see Christ um, with his intimate knowledge of the word and speaking it. Now, if I want to be a professional tennis player, I, uh, let's say I, I view this documentary on one of the best tennis players in the world. And in this documentary, this, t- this tennis player, this professional tennis player, he's like, you know what? This drill was necessary, this drill was necessary, and this drill was necessary for d- to get me to where I am today. And so I'm looking at this, I'm like, fantastic. I want to be a professional tennis player. I've got the answers in front of me. Here we go. I do this drill, I do this drill. I don't know about that drill. It just requires a little too much effort on my part. It does, it's not as fun, so I'm going to skip it. But I'm still aiming to be the professional tennis player, even though the professional tennis player is telling me all three of these drills are necessary. And so much of our daily lives is exactly like this. Christ, we see, is in the word, and then he speaks the word into the attacks. And yet, how often do we say, man, I want to be a Christian. I want to be like Jesus. Man, he is, that's what I'm going after. And I'll do X, Y, but not Z. Ah, reading my Bible. Ah, I was a little too busy this morning. Or I'm a little too busy this evening. Or, but I still want to be like Christ. Even though Christ is saying, look at this. You do this to become like me. And yet, so often we skip out on it. We leave it to the wayside. We, we, we deprioritize it. We think everything else, it's more important for me to do this, this, and this and forget about this. We want to be like Christ and yet we won't even do the things of Christ. If you're not in the word, you cannot wield the word. You cannot use the word. You cannot speak the word into your daily attacks. The second point is this. The power of the word, the power of the sword is his, not ours. From the very beginning of of 6.10 through 17, we are told that we must choose to put on the armor of God. Fine. I love it. I get this opportunity to dress myself in the armor of God. But guess what? The armor of God is not something of this world. The armor of God is not something I can just make and fabricate on my own. The armor of God has been strengthened divinely by God to protect us. This is not of yourself. The power of the word is his. It is not ours. Therefore, we must allow it to saturate and marinate in our lives. We are not always going to understand. We are not always going to want to read. We are not always going to feel like we are getting something out of it. But see, when we focus on these things, on these emotions, on these feelings, all of a sudden we are trying to provide strength into the word and not rely on God's strength to be the word. We aren't the ones providing the power. When we are in the word on a regular basis, trusting in the source of the power, 
it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter if we understand. It doesn't matter if, uh, if we want to do it. That what matters is that we are obeying and going in and approaching the word with this idea of faith and trust that God will complete the good work in us. Our feelings, our emotions, our intellectual ability, they're ever passing. But God's promise is not. God's promise is eternal. He will complete the good work in you. And honestly, I, I think to myself, how, how exhausting would it be if we were the ones who had to, who had to provide the strength? If, think about it this way. If we, if we had to get in the right state of mind, in the right mood, every single time we approached the word of God, how exhausting would this be? We would never do it. There are seminary students and seminary professors at this very moment in time who are saying, you know, I've studied the word my entire life and I have yet to understand it in its entirety. No one in the history of Christianity has come to a full understanding of the depths of the knowledge that the word can provide in the 2,000 years that Christianity has been a religion. So why do you think that you, you yourself need to have this right state of mind, this, this, this wanting, this desire, and a full understanding of it? But as long as we approach it with this idea of trusting that God, you are going to work in it whether I realize it or not, he will fulfill his promise in our lives. Think of it this way. I keep on saying that. That's okay though. If God is working even when we don't realize it, a thought that came to my mind, I've only seen this movie like once or twice, but Karate Kid, think Mr. Miyagi. Now, uh, I think it was the name, Daniel-san? Is that what he, he went by? Uh, Mr. Miyagi had him doing all of these weird and obscure um, assignments and, and waxing on and waxing off. That's the, that's the only line I know in that entire movie. Um, but the concept still remains. And Daniel-san is over here thinking, I just want to get better at fighting. Give me, give, give me something to do. Give me something that I can work on and truly, but the fact of the matter is Mr. Miyagi knew better. He knew that there's, it took certain discipline, it took certain um, assignments and, and, and trials for, the, for Daniel-san to work through to truly become the best version of a karate kid. In many ways, this is exactly what happens for us. And so if we're not willing to do, if we're not willing to listen to Mr. Miyagi, to, to look back and say, I don't understand this, but I know he's right. I know that if he's assigning this to me, there's got to be something greater to this. We're never going to get past the first obstacle. Because the power of the word is his, not ours. We don't have to come up with the skill set or the, or the strength to make it effective. And thank goodness as we continue to seek and trust and make our lives available to the word, we allow the power of the word, the power of the sword to become muscle memory in our lives. This is all about demonstrating the glory of God. I mean, let's think about this. If, we, if it were up to me to understand, if it were up to me to feel good, if it were up to me to have this desire, I could just explain God right out of it. It could all become head knowledge to me and I could just reciprocate it. I could just spit it out, regurgitate it. But it's the times when we don't feel like it. 
It's the times when we don't understand it. It's the times that we don't have the desire to do it. That as long as we're going in with this idea of like, God, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't have a desire to do this. I feel like I'm in this drought. But God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do what you've requested me to do to display your glory. And as we look back, and as you come out of this drought season, you look back and you're saying, wow, God did work in my life during that. And all of a sudden, God's glory in your own life becomes even more real. It's also a display to others around you. When they see that you're going through this season of drought and this season of depression and this season like, man, you just don't know what's going on. You have all these attacks coming at you on a daily basis. And they're looking at you and they're like, man, I don't know how he's doing this. But then all of a sudden they find out, wow, he's been in the word every single day. He's still worshiping God in the midst of it. God's glory is elevated even higher. But it's so easy for us if, if, if we're in these good times, like, yeah, God is good. God is good. He's doing this really good work in my life. But what about in the bad times? Do you continue to rely on him? Because it's sometimes it's when we're at the bottom, when we've hit the rocks, that his glory is displayed even greater. In Romans 12, 2, it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, his perfect will. We aren't the ones transforming ourselves. We aren't the ones renewing ourselves. When we approach the word of God, when we unsheathe the sword of the spirit, we rely on the divine strength and power that God has provided to it. And as we begin to allow it to saturate our lives, to begin to marinate all over of who we are, we allow the power of the sword, the power of the Holy Spirit to become a part of us as we continually become renewed and renewed and renewed. The strength of the word is his, not ours. And as we continue on, as we move on, so we've learned about every other piece of physical armor that Paul has talked about. And as we come to the sword of the spirit, I want to share these two verses. I, wanna, I want us to remind these two verses. Here in 6.11, it says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then again in 13, twice in the span of three verses, therefore put on the full armor, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil, when? Not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to put on the full armor of God, to continue to stand in a place of victory. To stand, to stand, not to cower, because as we learned so many weeks ago, one of our primary purposes of God's children is to display the glory and the might and the awesomeness of our God. It takes the full armor of God, including the sword of the spirit, including the word of God, to display the full glory of God. We cannot lay it by the wayside and think, I'm good. No, you're not good if you're not displaying the full glory of God. Your job, your purpose is not being lived out to its fullest potential. When we don't have every piece of the armor of God, we reveal our weaknesses. Not only to the enemy, 
but to so many around us. If I walked around in a battlefield with all my fellow comrades and soldiers, but didn't have the helmet of salvation, if I didn't wear a helmet, or if I didn't have my breastplate of righteousness or my shield, or even the right shoes for the battle, I have to ask myself, and others are asking themselves, is he really a soldier? Or is he just the clown walking through the battlefield? If I walk through a battlefield with my, soul, with my fellow soldiers around me and I don't have the, sh- the, the sword of the spirit at my side and they look at me and they're wondering, are you who you say you are? Because I don't want to be fighting beside you. If you don't have every piece of armor, you expose me too. If you're walking around without the sword of the spirit ready to be wielded, Are you who you say you are? That's not an answer for me to answer. It's not a question for me to answer. It's only a question between you and God. If you are not ready and preparing in the word of God and then wielding the word of God, not displaying his glory, are you who you say you are? Are you a soldier in the army of God? People take notice. As you walk through life, people take notice of your lack of armor, especially, especially if you claim to be a soldier in the midst of other soldiers. We take up the full armor not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those around us so that we can fight with, so that we can fight beside and fight for our fellow soldiers. We take up the full armor so that those around us who don't have the armor, who aren't Christians, can see the strength of God's armor on us, can see the power and the sword in action. And see that there's a way through this life where we don't have to just scrape by and cower and take the attacks, but that we can actually stand and thrive. How you react to your circumstances and what you let determine your quality of life says everything about the armor that you are wearing. It says everything about the sword that you bear. How do you react? For example, when you see a post on social media that bothers you, do you go out with your all attempt, I need to elevate myself here. I need to make sure that they are wrong and that I am right. Do you express your anger towards that person? Do you try to bring the glory to yourself instead of bearing God's glory? Why does it bother you so much that someone posted something on social media? Why is Satan able to take that and let it be an attack on your life? How do you react when you after a bad day of work and you come home into a house of craziness? How do you react when your expectations aren't met by a family member or friend? How do you react when someone is just simply annoying you? How do you react when you feel that you just can't go on without buying that newest thing? You just gotta have it to make you you. You just gotta have that newest thing. How do you react when temptation comes in full force? When addiction comes, addiction to porn, alcohol, spending, gambling, eating, technology, social media, when temptation comes, how do you react? You know, these all seem maybe like small things, but so often, like I said before, it's finding those small weaknesses that Satan is able to expose and allow us to become our own worst enemy, that we become our own worst opponent. And how often does your reaction end up hurting someone else? All because you weren't prepared to fight. 
And instead of responding intentionally to that circumstances, you, rea- re- you reacted in the heat of the moment. And you probably did, or you said something that you probably really shouldn't have. If we're, when people see us fall in the small things, it says more about our armor than if we should fall in the big things. Yet so often we, we trivialize the small attacks and we just keep on thinking to ourselves, ah, I'll survive the big attack. I'll survive. When in reality, Satan has found our weakness, our small, small weakness, and he says, I don't need to do anything more, but just keep on hitting it to their backhand and watch them destroy themselves. And in the midst of that, as you react in the heat of the moment, react impulsively, you're not only hurting yourself and exposing your weakness, but you're watching others see you. Others are watching you do this. And you've put them also in, a, in an area of danger. You've exposed them because no longer are you but to fight for them or beside them or with them. This is so much more than protecting yourself. This is so much more than you. This isn't about us individually. This is about us as a body, as a kingdom, moving forward and displaying the glory of God. So the question then is, where in your life are you simply reacting? Where are you reacting? Because beyond, let's be honest, people. When we incorporate the sword of the spirit with the rest of the full armor, we move from a place of reacting impulsively to a place of responding intentionally. We move from a place of reacting impulsively to a place of responding intentionally. So we have to be proactive. Where in your life are you reacting impulsively? What weaknesses do you have? We all have weaknesses. I have weaknesses. I have temptations. The question is, am I allowing Satan to come in at full attack and not do anything about it? Have I exposed my own weakness by not being in the word of God? So often we hear about the rest of their armor and we like it because we think we can just put it on and not have anything to do anything more. We think the previous pieces of armor will be just fine. So I don't need to be in the word as much. We don't prioritize the word. But the funny thing is that it's without the sword, without the word of God, we don't even know about the rest of the armor. Without the sword, we don't have the one weapon to use that actually fights back. Putting on the full armor of God, including the sword of the Spirit, is not about being there just simply to save ourselves. It's about being there for your children. It's about being there for your spouse about being there for those who don't have the armor. Protecting and displaying. Displaying the glory and power of God. So the final question then today is, will will those around you see your armor and watch you live out the strength of God? Or will they only hear about your supposed armor and then watch you fall with the circumstances of life? How will your life be a testimony to those around you? We must be in the word to wield the word. The strength of the word is his. The power of the word is his, not ours. And when we incorporate the full 
body, the full armor of God into our lives, including the sword of the spirit, we are able to then move from a place of reacting impulsively to a place of responding intentionally. So this week, will you allow yourself to be trained up in, to be saturated with, to be renewed by the word of God so that in the daily attacks, again, when it says when the day of evil comes, and I have when the day of evil comes, and I have a feeling that today there's so many of us who we go through our work weeks and we're like, man, I can't do it. I just can't anymore. So that as you go through your week this week, will you take up the full armor of God, not forgetting the sword of the spirit, the one item to which you can actually stand and fight. You don't have to cower. You don't have to scrape by anymore because guess what? Whether you feel it, whether you desire it, whether you want to, whether you understand what's going on, God just says, trust in me and I, my strength will deliver you. Will you, will you prioritize time with God this week? Will you be in the word this week? Will you let God do what he has promised? Whether you feel like it, whether you recognize it, whether you want to, God says, trust in me, have faith in me, and I will work in you and through you. And so Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we cast all we cast everything to you, Father. Lord, clothe us with the full armor of your power, of your strength. Give us the courage to stand. Give us the courage to wield your sword, whether we know it, whether we have the power or the strength. Lord, help us to rely on you. Tomorrow, as we go to our work, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and in the weeks to come, let who we are be an overflow of you working in our life as we continue to get to know you more and to display your glory to the rest of the world. And it's through the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.